I think about our last year as a church, that certainly seems true to me as well. We haven't even think about what we've been able to accomplish, and, and certainly none of that could be true without God's grace and Him holding our hands uh, throughout the way. Uh, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. As you turn there, I would invite you to, to come back this evening to Camp Good News to help continue to celebrate our, our one-year anniversary that uh, took place this past Monday. Uh, this evening we'll be looking at Joshua chapter 4, talking about God's glory in the midst of commemoration service, and we'll be thinking about how God has, has worked and will continue to work in our right response to, to God's faithfulness as individuals and as a community of faith. Also, if uh, some of you have been asking me about a church membership classes, and if you look in your bulletin, we have some more information about Bethany 101 that will be taking place at the end of the month, and if you've been wanting to find out more about our church or been wanting to, to join mem- in membership, just encourage you to, to look at that and to consider attending uh, those, those two classes at the end of September and the beginning of, of October. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're, we've been looking at verse 4 the past uh, two weeks ago, and then we'll be looking at verse 4 again this morning. If you please stand with me as we read God's Word together, I'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Paul writes, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray for God's continued grace in our our lives. Heavenly Father, we recognize this morning that it is only through you holding our hands, through your grace, that we have the ability to be here this morning. We recognize that as you have blessed your people this, this past year, We've been able to become a part of a, a new community of faith. We, we recognize that there's nothing we've done on our own to allow us to experience the, the blessing of fellowship. And so we thank you. We praise you. We seek your glory in, in all of this. And we pray now that as we turn our attention to the study of your word more closely, that you would work within our hearts and, and change us and give us the ability to be obedient in these things. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. This past August, Whitney and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary, as I believe I've mentioned before. And at the beginning of the year, in January of 2009, we began to talk about how we would celebrate our anniversary. And Whitney suggested that in honor of our 10-year anniversary, we run a marathon together. I countered with a diamond necklace. Um, but, uh, no, in all seriousness, well, that, that, sounds like a, that sounds like an interesting idea. And so we began to, to train for this marathon. And you, you've noticed I haven't mentioned this before because I've, I've been uh, afraid of failure here. I didn't want to, to publicly commit to this, but now, it's, uh, now I'm hands to the plow, no turning back. This next month is the marathon. But 
we began this, this training process, and I thought, well, uh, you know, marathon, long way. Probably the most difficult aspect is the mental aspect, and so I began to mentally prepare myself. And it turns out that the most difficult part of running a marathon is running a marathon. It's, uh, the mental part's definitely tough, but 26.2 miles is, is uh, it's a long way. And so I, I, my training was mental, and then I thought, well, I'll run a, a mile this week, and then two miles the next week, and you see where I'm going here, right? And then three miles, and by the time the marathon comes around, I will, you know, I'll be up to 26.2. And uh, Whitney was a little wiser than, than I was. She researched uh, how to run a marathon. She looked at different uh, uh, sites that, that dealt with marathon training and looked at schedules, and she talked to people who'd run marathons before. And a few weeks into our training, uh, I realized, maybe a month into our training, I realized, you know, she is doing this a lot better than I am. And so I sought her wisdom. And I had been doing some, some good things individually, but, but Whitney had a, a comprehensive strategy. She understood that you, you run a couple of short runs in a week, and then you run a medium run, and then you, you run a longer run, and, and there's, there's things you're doing with your diet. And then after a, a couple of weeks, you, you taper back down, and then you taper up again. It's, this, it's a very involved program in order to be able to, to complete a marathon. And so I switched from my uh, doing a few things okay to her comprehensive strategy, and things have been working out better ever since. Now, how does that relate to parenting? Well, I think sometimes as, as we deal with parenting our children, uh, sometimes we're doing, some, we're doing some good things. We're doing some okay things. We're, we're involved in instructing them over here, or maybe we, we discipline over here, and we're, we're, maybe we kind of teach them some Bible verses over here, or maybe, maybe even as a church, we think, well, we want to train our children, and we want them to love God, so we're going to do, a, we're going to do an Awana ministry, and uh, we'll do a, a children's church and, and a Sunday school, but, but as parents and as, ch- as church, sometimes we lack a comprehensive strategy, an overarching goal that shapes and, and, and informs all that we do. So as parents, we may be doing a couple things okay, but we don't have a comprehensive strategy and, and realize what our goal is and how all the things that we're doing help us achieve that, that one goal. Two weeks ago, we looked at some characteristics of provocative parents. We looked at the first part of Ephesians 6, verse 4. And we saw that there are some things that that parents should not do, things that would provoke their children to wrath. And we saw that that a parent should have as as his or her overarching goal, their, their primary focus, creating, nurturing within their children hearts that love Jesus Christ. And a provocative parent, instead of doing those things that are going to to help their children love Jesus Christ, a a provocative parent does things that that anger their children, that turn them away from the Lord, that that cause them to to, to not have hearts of faith. This morning, we're looking at the more positive aspect of things. We're seeing that there are, are things that God calls a parent to do to nurture within them hearts of faith. Kind of the overarching theme for this morning is, is this, uh, nurturing parents, nurturing parents have a comprehensive strategy to cultivate in their child a heart that loves Christ. Nurturing parents have a comprehensive strategy to cultivate in their child a heart that loves Christ. Nurturing parents are discipling and instructing their children 
in the Lord. Last uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at several characteristics of provocative parents. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at three characteristics of nurturing parents. The first characteristic of a nurturing parent is this. Nurturing parents cultivate. Nurturing parents cultivate. Uh, they prepare their child's heart to, to trust in Christ alone. They prepare their child's heart to trust in Christ alone for their salvation. Now, let's make three observations here from the text as we think about this process of cultivation. Uh, First of all, cultivation is the opposite of provocation. Look again at verse 4. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead, by way of contrast, these are the things that are going to provoke your child. Instead, do things that are going to nurture your child. It's, It's the contrast to, to provocation. So last week, for, or two weeks ago, for example, we, we saw that a, a parent that's provoking their children to wrath is, is training their children to live uh, self-centered lives. Uh, they're not disciplining in, in love. There are things that a parent does that provoke their children to anger. Uh, don't do those things. Cultivation is the opposite of provocation. Uh, a second observation here from the text is, is this. Uh, the cultivation is the overarching goal of the parent. Last part of verse 4 says, bring them up, Uh, train them. That's the main instruction in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. Don't provoke, instead, bring them up, train them. This word that's translated, bring them up, also occurs in Ephesians chapter 5 as Paul is talking to husbands. And he says, Husbands, uh, you, know, you, you nourish your own body, you take care of it, and he's, by way of extension, you should be taking care of your, your wife as well. And that's the same idea here. There's this, this nurturing process. A parent, as they look at these precious ones that God has entrusted to their care, understands that they have a, a, a long-term commitment to, to help train them to know and love Jesus Christ. Whitney and I were, uh, I, think from, I think it was Mother's Day, I, I bought her two rose bushes. And they were just little, little stumpy guys. And she took one and I took the other and we, we prepared this area to plant them. And I took a shovel and scooped a couple of things of dirt, took the rose, plopped it down, and put some dirt. I looked over, and, and, and she's still digging the hole. I said, sweetie, you know, time's a-wasting. we got to go here. She goes, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just working here. And so what she did is she dug this nice, uh, you, know, pr- you know, circumference there, and she put a little dirt down, and then she watered, and then she put the plant, and then some, some compost and some dirt. And some... Now, uh, which of those two rose bushes do you think is doing better today? Uh, hers. You know, hers is like this, and, and mine's like this, and I, I blame the soil. But uh, it, she cultivated, she nurtured, she brought them up. Uh, parents under, need to understand, look, uh, your goal as a parent is not to, to merely provide physical care for your children until they leave your home finally. <laughs> as a parent, your goal is to, is to nurture, to, to bring them up, to, to train. It's, it's this lifelong process. Uh, cultivation is the overarching goal of our parenting. The third thing, third observation here about nurturing parents who cultivate, not only is cultivation the opposite of provocation, not only is cultivation the the overarching goal of a parent, but cultivation is centered upon the person of Jesus Christ. What does Paul say? Bring them up, nurture, cultivate, the discipline and instruction of who? Of the Lord. Jesus Christ forms the curriculum that a parent is to be instructing their children in. 
Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of, of all that we teach our children. Let me say something that may, may sound a little bit controversial. Your goal as a parent, your goal as a parent is not to raise a moral child. Your goal as a parent is not to raise a, a moral child, a child who acts right. Your goal as a, as a parent is to produce a child who loves Jesus Christ. Let me read you a, a statement by Dr. Al Moeller. Dr. Moeller is the, the, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And he says this, He says, one of the most seductive false gospels, false gospels, is moralism. Uh, Moralism is is the belief that the gospel can be reduced to improvements in behavior. And my fear sometimes as a parent is is that I'm producing moralism in my child. And my my goal is not to produce a child that that does the right thing because they were raised right. Uh, My goal is not to have a a child who says, well, I I don't want to embarrass mom and dad at church, and so I'm going to do what they tell me to do. Or or I I want other people to see that I'm a good kid, so I'm going to do what a good kid does. My desire is that my children would learn about the person of Jesus Christ. And as they learn about the person of Jesus Christ, as they recognize their own sin and their need for the person of Jesus Christ, they would see Christ as an all-encompassing beauty. And they would have a desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then they would enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ through faith alone in him. And as they come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they would see how wonderful he is. And as they see how wonderful he is, out of that love they have for Christ would flow good behavior. But that good behavior is not the goal. The goal is that relationship with Jesus Christ. And as they, as they taste of his goodness, as they partake in his, his beauty, good behavior flows from that. So a nurturing parent cultivates. A nurturing parent says, look, my, my goal is to, to work within my, my, my child, a heart that, that's sensitive to, 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 to the person of Christ and trusts eventually in him alone for their salvation. How does a parent do that? Let me just give you a couple applications. Three, three things that I think a parent needs to really focus on as they think about preparing the soil of their child's heart. The first thing is, is this, uh, and not just parents, but if you're a Sunday school teacher or working in the nursery or children's church, these are things that I think we need to make sure our children's hearts are, are sensitive to, things that they understand. One, of course, would be sin. A child needs to understand the, the reality of sin and the pervasiveness of sin. In Romans 3.23, it says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And our children need to understand the reality of sin. And not just that they sin occasionally, but a child needs to understand sin permeates every aspect of who I am. And so when a, when a child is, is disobedient and, and we as parents uh, begin to talk to them about their disobedience, how do we approach that? Uh, we would say, well, we want to get to their heart here. We want them to understand that, look, sin is at the, the essence of what you did here. So uh, little, little Johnny hit Sally. So why'd you do that? Well, she had my toy. 
why did that bother you? Well, because I wanted that toy. And so you begin to talk to them about, about selfishness and, and desires and, and how sin affected that. You want them to see that sin permeates, sin permeates their, their little precious existence. <laughs> you want a child to understand the reality of sin. You also want a child to understand the reality of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we've talked about as we've been going through the book of Ephesians over and over again. What does it tell us? For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, lest any of us should boast. And so a child at an early age needs to understand the the grace of God, the grace of God that's been extended to mommy, the grace of God that's been extended to daddy, and and how through grace mommy and daddy have a relationship with God, and and how mommy and daddy don't live in a a, a legalistic world, but in a a grace-infused world. A child needs to understand the reality of grace. And also, a child needs to understand the, the, the person of God and understand his righteousness. As they think about their sin, they should understand their, their need for his righteousness in their lives. And as they, they see that God is a, a perfect God, a, a righteous God, a holy God, a just God, a loving God, and they begin to understand the, the character of God. They understand the, the work of Christ, that Jesus Christ came and, and lived a perfect, righteous life and that he paid for their sins on the cross and rose from the dead. And see, what you've done as you're cultivating your child is you're, you're helping them understand sin, you're helping them understand the concept of grace, you're helping them understand the, the person and the character of God. No parent can force their child to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But a parent who's not provoking their child and instead instead is cultivating their child is, is doing those things necessary that that allow the Holy Spirit to, have, to work within their hearts to allow them to place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so a nurturing parent, first of all, cultivates. Nurturing parents cultivate. Secondly, nurturing parents discipline. Nurturing parents discipline. They, they have this comprehensive strategy for training their children. Uh, let's look here at verse 4 again. Uh, last part, he says, bring them up, and then he uses two words to describe the manner in which a a, a parent is to bring up their child. He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, or or your translation might say in the the training and instruction of the Lord. And that first word that's translated discipline or or training, uh, that means means the overarching program of of training your children, the the overarching strategy for training your child. Paul uses the word in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, as he's talking about how God's word trains us for righteousness, he uses it all, or the writer of uh, Hebrews uses the, the word as well in Hebrews chapter 12. And in fact, turn over, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 again. We looked at this passage two weeks ago. Hebrews chapter 12, the, this, this word that's translated discipline here is the same word that's used in Hebrew uh, in Ephesians 6, 4 as discipline. He uses it, first of all, in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not Discipline, if you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children 
and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? This word discipline means not just negative correction, but positive instruction as well. Paul uses this word discipline to describe the the overarching training program that that a parent has for their child. Then the second word that he uses in verse 4 of Ephesians, the second word he uses is instruction. Okay, so discipline is the overarching strategy, the comprehensive plan for bringing a child to maturity. Uh, Instruction is a subset of that, a a smaller portion of that. It's the, the verbal instruction. Now, there's a lot of overlap between the two, but, but I think that's the distinction that Paul is, draw, is, is drawing here. This first word, though, nurturing parents discipline. They, they instruct. In, in, in 2 Timothy 3, when Paul uses the word, when the writer of Hebrews uses the word in Hebrews chapter 12, there's a, a positive and, an ele- and a negative element to discipline. Let's first of all talk about the positive element. Sometimes I think that we expect our children to do certain things. We have an expectation that they behave in a certain way, and when they don't behave in that way, what do we do? We do what we call discipline, okay? You were supposed to do this. You didn't do it. I'm going to discipline you. But discipline refers to the positive aspect of instruction as well. And sometimes, and and I I would venture to say, parents, uh, you've experienced this as well, because I certainly have. Sometimes when we're negatively disciplining our children, where we're punishing them, we realize, you know what? I don't know if they understand my expectations here. I'm not sure they are really aware of what I wanted them to be doing in this situation. It may not even be fair for me to have these expectations that I have on them. I'll give you an example. Whenever our two oldest children were four and two, we began to, to visit some, uh, we, we were getting ready to sell our house in Peoria and we were trying to, to purchase a house here on this side of the river. And so we would take our children to look at homes with us, and, and they would go into home, and it was like, you know, party time, okay? They're jumping on the couches. They're going, oh, they're going to a kid's room. There's toys, and so they're playing with the toys. And, you know, I was just getting really frustrated. Guys, that's not how you behave in the house. That's not how you behave in someone else's house. We're, we're guests here. We're not even guests. We're trespassers or whatever we are, okay? My kids are like, I don't understand, Dad. When we go to other people's homes, we play with their toys. And I realized that I was disciplining them negatively for things I hadn't instructed them positively in. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. This is right after, a, right after I think they tore up someone's room or something at someone else's house. and We left quickly. Um, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to stop the car in the driveway. Then we're going to pretend like this is a house that we're looking at. We don't know the people who live here. We're going we're gonna to pretend like we're looking at it to buy it. You don't touch anything. We just walk through and we, we make nice comments. Nothing negative. Kids go, okay. So we get out of the car and we begin to walk through the home and they're doing a really good job and they're just kind of looking, holding their hands and walking room to room and uh, Hannah, four-year-old, looks at a, a picture of our family and she goes, my, what a lovely family. <laughs> so there is that, pos- that positive instruction, that positive discipline. That's an aspect of discipline. And then as we visited other homes, they did great. Now they, they knew, great maybe an overstatement. They knew what the expectations for behavior were. 
And now that they knew what the expectations for behavior were, they had been trained in that and they could obey it. Before, we were expecting them to do things they had no training in. So as we think about our overarching strategy as parents, there's positive aspects to discipline as well as negative aspects. We are trying to help them understand how to live life properly. What are some aspects of this positive discipline? Well, a parent is establishing patterns, patterns of behavior. They're they're setting goals for their children. A a church is doing that as well. They're not just taking care of kids while mommy and daddy really go learn about God. They're they're establishing patterns of behavior. Like in our children's church, our our goal is to to help a child learn how to worship God in, in big church and teach them about the things of God. So think about what are some goals that God may have you as a parent to be training your child in positively. You want your child to be learning how to respond rightly to authority, how to respect adults. I'm from the the South, and my parents just drilled in me that you say, yes, sir, and you say, no, sir, and yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And, you know, I I didn't know the the first name of of any adult until I was, you know, 22, came here to the Midwest, where it's kind of a little bit of a different culture, and I don't think that, um, I don't think saying yes sir, no sir, Mr. and Mrs. is, is the way you communicate this, but there must be, there needs to be something in place that a, a child understands the authority in his life, and, or her life. A parent wants to be teaching their children how to serve God in church, how to be engaged in ministry, they want to be providing positive examples and, and ways that they can do that, and Maybe it's coming early on, on Sunday mornings and, and helping set up, or it's, it's helping at a, at a fellowship at the farm, or just different things that you do with your children to, to help them begin to understand how, how to serve God over the rest of their lives. A parent is teaching their children how to study God's Word. One of the things that parents need to be teaching their children in is, is how to handle finances. And so a, a parent doesn't just negatively discipline a child whenever they, they handle their finances poorly, but they begin to give them responsibility over money, and they, they begin as, as parents to, to watch how their children save money and spend money. And, you know, finances are a great window into someone's soul. And so a, a parent that has an overarching discipline strategy is, is watching how their children handle money. Uh, maybe you have a child and you, and you begin to, to, to have them earn some money or you give them allowance or, or whatever you, you do in order to, to see how they handle finances. And you see, well, man, we've got, uh, we've got like Mr. Stingy over here and, and he won't part with a dime. You know, this kid is, this is a little scary how, un, how, uh, how he lacks generosity. And maybe you have like a uh, uh, kid over here that's, that's uh, Mr. Spender. And, and you, you say, man, our little girl, she just wants to, to, to buy everything for everyone. And, and you recognize within, within both heart attitudes, there, there's some problems. Uh, someone needs to understand better how to, how to be generous. And so you talk with them about generosity and, and what God would have them do with their money. Take Miss Spender over here and you, you teach her about how to, how to save and, and use God's resources more wisely. Many other examples we could give here, but a, a parent who's nurturing... A nurturing parent whose discipline is, is positively setting goals in different areas of life and, and how, to, how to develop within their children maturity in those areas. Now, negatively, there's negative aspects of discipline as well. And I think it's important as we think about the negative aspects of discipline as a parent to understand this. When we discipline our children, when there's punishment involved, 
it's not payback time, right? <laughs> Sometimes as parents, as we think about disciplining our children, what we're thinking about is this. My kid has wronged me for the last time, and now it's time to make them pay. <laughs> God's word is very clear that it is a wrong heart attitude in disciplining. What does Romans say? Uh, Romans, Paul writes, concerning discipline, or concerning vengeance, he writes this in Romans twelve nineteen. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so a parent says, look, my goal here is not to take vengeance upon myself for how they've bothered me. In fact, really, I want to preserve them from the, the wrath of God as well. And so what I'm trying to do in my discipline, in a negative sense, a corrective sense, is I'm trying to provide loving correction, loving correction that will help their hearts change. A lot of examples here of how a parent disciplines in that sense, this loving correction designed to bring about a, a, a change of heart. I think, first of all, as we think about discipline, we want to make sure that our discipline fits the dis- disobedience. And so we're trying to tailor-make our, our discipline to address the offense that's been committed. There's a lot of examples of different discipline strategies that we could talk about. I just thought of a few examples just, just, uh, just briefly. One, is, uh, one discipline strategy would be restitution. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 that we looked at, 428, talks about the thief. Let him who steals steal no longer, but rather let him work with his hands so that he can have something to give to the person in need. So a child, a child who does something like, like steal, you say, okay, we've seen this, this hard attitude. What we're going to do is we're going to, to address that hard attitude. You're going to, instead of being a person who takes things from your siblings or, or takes things from other kids, what we're going to work to create within you is a heart that gives. So here's your chore. You're going to work for a couple hours here. And as you work for a couple hours here, we're going to, to, to give you uh, something in return for your labors. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take what we gave you and give it to someone else. You're disciplining, but your disciplining is designed to attack the hard attitude. Or maybe you have a child who's done something and, and uh, uh, maybe the issue is, is, is whining. Okay? I don't know if any of you parents have ever dealt with children who whine. I've heard it happens sometimes. And and uh, what we, what one, one strategy is, is a child who's whining, what's the hard attitude there? I'm going to do whatever it takes to achieve my desired ends. So a child who whines, you simply say, look, you're not, whatever it is you wanted, even if it's something I, I really wanted to give you, you're not getting it now. You're, I'm going to frustrate your ability to achieve your ends. You come in here and, mommy, I want a snack, okay? Didn't say please, no, no kindness, just, just whining, look. You're not going to achieve your desired ends. The, the, the discipline is in line with what the heart attitude was. Now let me say, uh, let me say also a word here about, about s- corporal punishment, spanking. Uh, first of all, let me just say something about how our culture views the rod. Okay? We're going to talk in a minute about the biblical understanding of, of corporal punishment, of, of spanking. But let me read something to you from... The Center for Effective Discipline, okay? Now, the Center for Effective Discipline is a subgroup of an organization called uh, the In, In Physical Punishment of Children, so you kind of know where they're coming from. And listen to what they say about spanking. 
Let's say, uh, and, and listen to kind of the, the way they understand spanking and then how they, how they see the, the negative aspects of it. Parents hit children. It's already kind of a loaded way to, to phrase it. A parents hit children to change their behavior in the present and in the future. Spanking usually stops misbehavior of small children just for the moment, not over the long term. Studies show that the more children are spanked, the less likely they are to be compliant and well-behaved in the long term. Spanking does not teach children why their behavior was wrong or what they should do instead. Let me say that again. The accusation here is spanking does not teach children spanking does not teach children why their behavior was wrong or what they should do instead. It teaches children that the only reason to behave appropriately is to avoid being punished. Effective discipline involves teaching children how to behave and why so that they can make appropriate choices in the future. Let me just say this, and this may surprise you. I agree with with that in part, okay? If what a person defines as spanking, and as you look at these so-called studies, often how they define spanking is is any sort of physical punishment of a child. If the, the physical punishment of a child simply involves uh, you know, spanking them on the, the, the bottom, that's not effective discipline, is it? That's not the, the goal of biblical parenting. And if there is a, a situation in which a parent is, is merely inflicting physical pain upon a, a child, that is not a, a biblical understanding of what the responsibility of a parent is. And they're absolutely right if, if that's how you define spanking. But what does Scripture understand about physical corporal punishment? Scripture understands that this method of discipline was designed by God to turn the heart from self-centered behavior, self-centered folly and defiance, and turn that heart towards humility and wisdom. And it's especially effective in younger children in showing them that, look, folly self-centered disobedience has a physical, painful consequence. And if the sum total of the discipline is just the physical pain, then it's not an effective long-term parenting strategy. And if this type of discipline is, is used in conjunction with, with abuse and, and severe pain, and then it has no place, no place in a home. But if it's a biblical implementation of this corporal punishment, then it, then it is beneficial to a child and works to get at the heart. Here's what Proverbs says. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give you delight to your heart. That's Proverbs 29, verse 15 and verse 17. Uh, so, as we're talking about different types of negative discipline that a nurturing parent engages in, a spanking is, is one tool that a parent can use to turn disobedient hearts back toward the Lord. I would suggest a very careful method of implementation as well. So let's say that a child has been, you know, there's been direct disobedience. And remember we've talked about obedience before. What is obedience? Obedience for a child is doing what they're to do right away with the right heart attitude. And so there's been a situation in which a child has, has directly disobeyed, defied mom and dad, and so, so in a younger child, spanking becomes necessary. 
Again, the goal of the spanking is, is not to punish the child, not to exact vengeance upon them, but to help turn their heart from self-centered folly and disobedience back toward the Lord. So a parent brings their child into a, a place where, where no one else is around. There's no sense of shame that a child is going to experience with others. The parent should be in absolute, total, complete control. And let me say that again. Total, absolute, complete control. And if you cannot do that as a parent, don't do it. <laughs> a parent brings a child into a, to an area where they're, they're not going to be around anyone else around to, for them to experience shame or anything like that. And they, they ask the child very clearly, do you understand what you did. Why are you getting a spanking? And the child should be able to articulate exactly what the behavior is that, that's brought them to this situation. Mom and dad don't just go, man, you're driving me crazy in there right now. Wah, wah, wah. They understand what the, what the problem was, what the disobedience was. And then a parent, a parent should have the ability to articulate what the disobedience was using God's word. Here's what God's word says about what you've done. Here's what you did. And then the parent clearly communicates what the punishment will be. I'm going to give you three swats or four swats. If you're really mad, 15. No. No. So I'm going to give you three swats, four swats. And then the, the punishment is enacted. Then there's immediate, immediate affirmation of love. There's prayer asking God for forgiveness, and then there's restitu- any restitution that the child needs to engage in with other people. It's a controlled process designed to turn a child's heart from folly into obedience, obedience of God. God's word makes no provision for wrathful punishment of children. The nurturing parent disciplines, nurturing parents discipline. When I was being brought on staff at Bethany Baptist Church, I was, uh, I was a little nervous going into the, the big vote. There was a Sunday evening vote to, to, to bring me on staff, and there have been a couple things that made me a little nervous about this vote. And in fact, Pastor Rich, uh, Sunday afternoon, got together with me and said, so how are you feeling about tonight? I said, well, I'm feeling okay. He goes, all right, well, let me just ask you this. Um, what's the lowest number of votes that it would take for you to feel comfortable coming here? I thought, wow, he knows something I don't. Things are going to go really poorly here. <laughs> and so I said, well, well now it's a, it's a lot lower than it was a minute ago. I'm kind of a little nervous about what's going on. What do you know? He goes, nothing. Um, so we, we took the vote, and, and uh, I, uh, you know, there, there were a few uh, heathens who voted against bringing me on. and Four, but who's counting? Um, and I was, just so, I was just so thrilled to be brought on staff. I didn't really look at the no votes for, for a couple months. And then, you know, I, they, they hand me the ballots, and, and I opened a drawer one, one, um, one day a couple months later. I was kind of flipping through the ballots, and I, I saw someone check no, and it said, uh, no, we don't believe that there should be a youth pastor, which actually made me feel better. They were voting against a position, not me. Um, so we don't believe that there should be a youth pastor. Children should learn with other adults. Thought about that for a while, and then kind of that same time frame, several families kind of approached me, uh, and there were parents uh, who, who did a very good job nurturing their children. I said, look, we're just very uncomfortable with the whole philosophy of youth ministry, and they, they handed me some literature, and I read through the literature, and, and basically the essential, uh, the essence of the objection was this. Uh, a youth ministry, oftentimes in churches, is, is creating a, a subculture of the church. And so instead of a youth ministry 
fulfilling its design to help train a child to live a, a life of faith. It's, it's kind of catering to the needs and desires of a kid and, and fostering further immaturity in these children. And as I read the literature on that, I said, you know, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And what's happened, I believe, since the beginning of the youth ministry, perhaps in the 70s or so, is that these children who were targeted and became a part of these youth groups and, and immaturity was fostered, now they become adults. And they don't know how to handle maturity in a church, and so they, they want their churches to be kind of designed like youth groups. A church that has a strategy for disciplining children, for training children, a comprehensive strategy to bring them to maturity, is a church that's going to be working to do those things that foster maturity within their hearts. A parent that has a comprehensive strategy for how to discipline their children is going to be doing those things positively and negatively that bring them to maturity. Final characteristic here of nurturing parents is this. Uh, Nurturing parents instruct. He says says in verse 4, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Nurturing parents instruct. They have a communication system in place that that implements and and monitors their training. As I suggested earlier, discipline is the overarching strategy. Instruction is a subset of that. Instruction is kind of the the verbal process of communicating with your children to to see where their hearts are, to to see how they're responding to your discipline. Peter O'Brien puts it this way. way, He says, instruction is the more specific aspect of training that takes place through verbal admonition and, and communication. What this means for the parent is that a parent is engaging in dialogue with their children. It means you're establishing regular times to to listen to them and and talk to them. You're providing opportunities for them to give feedback to you, and you're you're listening to what they're saying so that you can kind of see where their hearts are in this process. There's a great book called Everyday Talk, and Everyday Talk is written by John Younts, and he uses this phrase called parent speak. He says what happens in parent speak is this. Dad comes home and sits down and he's reading the newspaper and a little boy comes in. And little boy begins talking to him and and dad is so engrossed in the newspaper that he begins engaging in parent speak. And parent speak is is talking without listening. And what you can kind of do as a parent is you can kind of anticipate basically what your children are going to say. And so you have these stock answers. Not right now. Daddy's busy. We'll do that later. Uh Uh-huh, that's a great story, blah, 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 blah. And your child is talking, and it's going in one ear and out the other. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe you're a mom, and and uh, you have these small children, and it seems like uh, they're they're constantly, constantly talking. And it's hard to to pay attention to them, and and there's just this this, this constant chattering and dialogue. And maybe maybe you're a dad, and and you come home, and you're able to, kind of pay attention for a few minutes, but it's like, man, this, where's the story going? I, I can't follow this. And, you know, and it's, and it's, it's difficult with different children. It's, it's di- different types of difficulty with different children. Uh, some kids just talk so fast, you just are overwhelmed, and you can't process all this information. Some children talk so slow, it's like, And it's a very difficult undertaking as a parent to consciously try to listen to what your, parent, your, what your children are saying. 
not just to get the content of the information, but get, to in the, get the information behind the information. Younce gives the illustration in this book, Everyday Talk. He says, you know, imagine your, your child comes home and he says, you know, uh, Jimmy is, Jimmy is forest, we're playing in Jimmy's forest in his backyard. And the dad says, no, Jimmy doesn't have a forest in his backyard. I don't know what you're talking about. He keeps reading his paper. A listening dad says, now, now what are you doing? What, what forest are you talking about? Oh, Jimmy, you know the new kid? Uh, he has this great forest. And the dad says, oh, you mean like, uh, you're talking about that, that brush over there and that, and that kind of hill? He goes, yeah, you mean the mountain, dad? And, yeah, the mountain. And as he talks to his, to his child, he hears more about Jimmy. Here's some of the things that Jimmy's saying to his child and some of the hard attitudes that are being communicated to his child. A listening parent is able to monitor the discipline process. A nurturing parent is careful to listen to the words of his or her child and respond to them. Say, parents, don't let your kids talk without listening. Don't let your children talk without listening. Perhaps they need to be trained in the, the appropriate time to talk. And at our table, we, we, we uh, <laughs> I shouldn't tell you everything we do at our home. Um, sometimes we have to, we have to uh, invoke the hand over mouth uh, rule, okay? If we have four kids and they're all talking at once and, and daddy begins to go crazy. And uh, I don't want to communicate to my children that anything they say is, is unimportant. And I won't, I won't listen. So I say, hey, look, okay, uh, three younger kids, you're kind of going crazy. Let's do this. What are you saying? Okay, I want to respond to that. Now, now where do you, I, want to, I want them to know that everything they say is, is valuable to me. And I want everything they say to be valuable to me, which is a different issue. Because there's going to come a day where if you've trained your children not to speak to you, they won't. It's going to be hard to tell what's going on in their hearts. So the, the parent who nurtures is eagerly seeking any glimpse they can into what's going on in the heart of their child. Little comments they make, little snippets. The parent is grasping onto every word, taking it to heart. That's instruction. It's dialogue. It's listening. Seek to understand what they're saying, what they're really saying. It's the best gauge to determine what's going on in their little hearts. And there's also this instruction also, and I, I wish we had more time to talk about this. But it also means that there's this, this time where you're teaching them about God. And I would say this is, this is on a daily basis. And as a parent, you have the obligation before God to be involved in instruct, instructing your children. And what that means is that as a parent, you provide daily time with your children to teach them the things of God. Every day, you're opening up God's Word with them, and you're reading it. Now, it's not always extensive. It's not always a, you know, it's not a five-point sermon, but you're taking them to God's Word. You're saying, here's who God is. This is the God I want you to love. This is the God I want you to find out about. This is the God that I love, and I want you to have a love for as well. So a parent who's instructing their child has this overarching discipline program, but there's also this instruction aspect of it. And as they instruct, they're teaching them about God. This is his character. This is what his word says. This is why our family follows God's word. There's this regular time of instruction. The most important message that you can instruct your children with is, is the gospel, of course. 
And there's time as, as a parent sits down with his or her children, mom or dad sits down with the kids, that they're communicating to them about the person of Jesus Christ. You see the overlap again between discipline and instruction, right? No aspect of discipline avoids instruction. And instruction only works in conjunction with discipline. So you don't spank without instruction in God's word. You don't have them, you don't have them uh, make restitution to their child without instructing them in God's word and why you're doing what you're doing. Discipline and instruction go hand in hand. And this process of instruction is teaching them the things of God, teaching them about the character of God. So they're not just being moral, but they're understanding their relationship rightly to God. You're communicating the gospel that Jesus Christ died on the cross for whatever sin it is that they're involved in, and that he offers a relationship with him through faith in him alone. Last week, uh, or this morning, someone came up to me and said, well, you know that the sermon you, you gave two weeks ago, I have, a, I have a new title for it. I said, oh dear, yes. I said, how about everything you're doing is wrong as a parent? I said, well, it seems a little long. Um, so that's, that, that's a very negative title. So you said, you think? Um, I hope this seems a little more positive this week. Uh, here's our, our, our goal as a parent, nurturing. We're nurturing as we, as we cultivate. We're nurturing as we're disciplining. We're, we're nurturing, as, nurturing as we're instructing. You know, Whitney and I, um, like I said, I've avoided talking about this because I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to complete it, but we're training for this marathon. We're, we're doing all, all that we can in order to, to achieve success, but but, you know, who knows what's going to happen that morning if we're going to be able to accomplish our goal. Same is true as parents. Same is true as parents. God gives us instruction, and as, as best we can, we, we do what God has called us to do, but, but ultimately, what are we relying upon? We are relying upon His grace alone. This is not some sort of computer program that we enter A, B, and C, and, and D comes out. This is, we're dealing with people's hearts and, and lives here. And so the end result is this. We, we want to be nurturing parents, but at the end of the day, we throw ourselves upon the mercy of God, beseeching him for the souls of our children. We do it as parents. We do it as a church. By his grace, we have this plan, his plan, seeking to implement it by his power, Nurturing parents have a comprehensive strategy to cultivate in their children a love for Jesus Christ, but it's only Jesus Christ, it's only the Spirit of God that can create that heart that loves God. Let's pray. Father, we would ask your mercy upon our lives. We'd pray for our children. God, we'd ask that you would give them hearts of faith, help them be obedient to you. And we pray this not for our own glory, but for your glory, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.